Blog Talk Radio. But as we begin this first of two 21st century open mind programs with Judge Sarakin, I want to ask him whether over the years he's at all changed his mind about some of the many decisions he's made and opinions he's offered, both on the blog and on the bench. Lee, what do you say? No. Uh, Never changed your mind. I've looked back. uh, First of all, I've reread the blog in anticipation of today, and there isn't anything in there that I uh, would want to change today. And insofar as my opinions are concerned, uh, there too, I'm I'm very comfortable with all of those opinions and stand by them today. Some of them have been reversed, but even despite that, uh, I still think... Even the reversals? Yes, uh, I, I recognize the validity of some of the reversals, but I don't think if I were writing the decision again, I would do it any differently. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, a very special program And you may want to find a bunch of adjectives, if you will, for the man I'm going to tell you about in a few minutes. He may be called the judge of judges. He may be called the one of a kind, the dean of justice. What's his name? It's actually Sarakin, federal retired judge. Folks, we honor him tonight for his years of service. And I'll tell you what, it would take a lifetime, if you will, to talk about this man and the position of justice he stands Folks, hang on. We honor Judge Federal Retired Judge H. Lee Sarakin right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams. And tonight we are excited to have the privilege and the honor to honor such a magnificent man, uh, and to take a look at his work, what he's done for this nation uh, within the criminal justice system. And I'll tell you what, uh, William, you don't have enough words to describe a champion of justice on this level. No, there's, there are no, no amount of accolades that you could, you could say about this man uh, to express what he's done, his dedication, his life, to be you know, a fair judge. You know, though, one that's there, that's really fighting for the injustice that's going on that we've seen in uh, in our country, and he's still to this day uh, out there speaking, talking, and standing up for those that need that need his help. Dennis, your thoughts on uh, Judge Sarakin? I, I I say exactly what uh you know William is saying. I mean this this judge is awesome. I mean even in his retired uh you know state, uh, still reaching out there, pushing, trying to make sure that. Those that are wrong, wrongfully convicted are vindicate, vindicated. And, and uh, I mean, it's just awesome for someone to care about people the way he does. And I, I always think about the IRP-5. I mean, he really jumped in. And, I mean, he gave it all he got. And he's still giving uh, to make sure that these men that were uh, put in prison uh, wrongfully, uh, that they get out. But, I, again, uh, I always use the word awesome. There's very few, you, you know, a few times you run across – uh, someone that's uh, just so dedicated to what he does. And, again, you know, the wrongfully convicted, the, those that are innocent and, and put in pre- prison for uh, 
you know, just things that they didn't do. I mean, he's just, he's out there. He's doing everything he can do to make sure that he exposed injustice and that he right a wrong that's been wrong to, uh, you know, so many people. Well, he's a, he's a judge that uh, sticks to what he believes, and that belief happens to be for true justice, yeah. the honoring of the Constitution of the United States, Cliff, uh, uh, came on, uh, wrote articles in the Huffington Post, uh, and, and namely what we know in re- dealing with the RP6, now known as the RP5, uh, a passion for justice. That's a difference. You can take a, a, an injustice to a lot of people. They sometimes may give you a politically correct answer. They may sometimes say, well, I believe this or that. But when you deal with Judge Sarah Cliff, you're talking about a man that has a passion from the depth of his heart for justice. Those are two different outcomes when you're talking about uh, judges in this criminal justice system today. Right. I mean, it takes more than a judge that says, you know, they just sit on the bench and um, deal with the letter of the law. There's a there's a phrase called the spirit of the law. And that means, you know, the, the way that the law was written and what its intent was. And so when you're dealing with the Constitution, it's not just, you know, the letter of it, but what did the forefathers intend for that law to do? And it takes a judge with, uh, with fortitude, with, uh, you know, personal morals to say that I take the, the spirit of the law to understand that this is about justice for, for every individual, whether you're convicted or not, whether you're com- or convicted rightfully or wrongfully convicted. It is about the letter of the law and the Constitution is set aside to ensure that everyone gets equal rights. And so if you have those people like um, Reuben Hurricane Carter that was exonerated by uh, Judge Sarakin, that when a person is wrongfully convicted, no matter what, it is the right of, of uh, every judge to ensure that the Constitution is upheld by making sure that those people have a fair chance and that they can do whatever they can as a judge to say, we need justice for this individual. And without that, uh, you know, a judge is just a person sitting on the bench and, and basically reading the law. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. And Judge actually Sarakin has proven over his career and over his lifetime that he is about justice. He's about upholding the Constitution. And we salute him for that. No, absolutely right. And uh, we're going to definitely have a good time talking about uh, and honoring uh, Judge Sarakin and uh uh, we're going to be in a good position, I think, to let everybody know uh, what this man has done uh, and really committed his life uh, to justice. Uh, and a lot of people start, uh, stop and start. And, but Judge Sarakin continues, as you said, William, he begins to talk about uh, his playwriting. We'll go into that, uh, the plays and things that he's produced. Oh, really sending a message, telling a message of the importance of what justice is about and what needs to be happening in this country. If people don't see it, if people don't pay attention to it, they'll never be changed. You're, you're right. I mean, you know, the whole thing is he, set, he has set the bar so high for what a judge should be. We, we, should, we should see this more across the board, but we don't. Our system is broken. Where you see a representative of the court that is fair and impartial and right. is striving for justice, not 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 the way we see them today where we see judges that are automatically leaning towards the prosecution they have it's almost like these business relationships that they have going on you know they're partnerships that they have they know the prosecution they pretty much 
know how how to steer things their way. Judge H. Lee Sarkin is is standing there saying, "Listen, my duty is to anyone that is right. I'm I'm here to service right. I'm here well, to service truth. And if it falls on the side of the defendant, if it falls on the side of the prosecution, well, you know, it, it falls where it falls. But I'm going to do my best. He's going to do his job. Do his job. He's going to do his job and and, and more." Uh, and we're going to get, uh, ladies and gentlemen of America, feel free to dial into the show tonight, 646-200-0628. Uh, and we're going to get into, we're going to get into the man of H of Judge H. Lee Sarakin, uh, the person, the conviction, and all the things that drive him to be the man he has become today. And I'll tell you what, they come far in between. Uh, we're talking about a legend. Uh, you don't have a lot of legends in a lifetime, but those that manage to reach that level, uh, tonight we take a moment in honor of one of the greatest, and his name is Federal Judge H. Lee Sarakin. We're going to deal with that uh, on the other side of this break. Folks, again, tell your neighbors, friends, you want to say, man, what, did just, what, what is justice supposed to look like? What is justice supposed to look like? Tonight, we show you a very clear picture as we take a moment to honor Retired federal judge H. Lee Serkin. Hang on to your seats, folks. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that That is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world. The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, We are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. Four two five two. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. She's coined a new term for the times we're living in. Brace for it, parents of America. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. What Oh, what? Alternative facts? Lies. exist. Also known as stereotypes or false narratives. It's like saying black history began with slavery. That's offensive. Or that we'll never see another black president in our lifetime. What about me? This Black History Month, we're focusing on the facts, not on facts. Indisputable. Truth. Real. Black magic is real. Black boy joy is real. Black wealth is real. Black beauty is real. 
Black support is real. Black excellence is real. It's real. Black love, that's real. Black lives are real. I'm real. Black history didn't begin with slavery. And it doesn't end with the Obamas. Whom we love. And miss. No, like, really, we really miss you. Now it's time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidents of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. By no means do we take lightly. When you come across something special, many times these things come once in a lifetime. I would have to believe in honoring Federal Judge H. Lee Sarakin tonight on this program uh, that we do honor a legend. Someone, as you put around our criminal justice system, we find injustice everywhere. We find People crying for justice, whether they're protesting in the street or sending letters or on the you know, Capitol Hill talking to the everybody seems to be searched justice. Tonight, take a clear look into one of the greatest minds of the criminal justice system of our time. Judge, Judge, 
who has done quite a bit. Tonight, we are honored to show you that. We were talking about Judge Sarakin and his passion, his push for um, justice. Uh, and I want to namely go to the IRP-6, known as IRP-5 now, that has done quite a bit to later in his life to reach to reach something uh, and a drive and a passion. This He's retired, he's not on the bench anymore, but he felt compelled to do something that he heard of the injustice of the RP5. And I mean, that's, that takes a special, a, a special person. I mean, to, uh, I mean, truly take interest in these men, uh, the injustice that occurred in their lives. And I mean, how he fought, you know, he wrote articles with the Huffington Post and I mean, constantly, you know, pushing. Uh, trying to get these men out of prison. Uh, I mean, that takes, again, uh, all I can say is thank you, uh, Judge Aitken. Uh, you're, uh, you're a model uh, after a judge. I mean, if, we had, if all our judges were like you, wow, what, I mean, this country would be awesome, but uh, it, it's just that he really cares for people. He cares for the underdog. Uh, I mean, He's out there really still at this point in his life. Like you said, Lamont, he's retired, but yet he's still fighting uh, for those that can't fight for themselves. And I I tell you, that takes a special person uh, uh, to want to do something like that. Okay, and right now joining us, uh, David Banks, uh, one of the RP5, uh, very impacted by Judge Sarakin. And, And Dave, can you hear us? Yes, I can. And go ahead, I'll give you the floor. Your thoughts on on this man who is who is really proven to be a champion of justice? Well, uh, it's quite extraordinary uh, from what we've seen in the process we've gone through. Uh, one of the most difficult things we went through through this process is finding out that very few people care about your plight. And there's a lot of talk about injustice and a lot of lip service overall that's paid about justice, but very few people actually uh, live uh, walk the walk uh, versus talk the talk, and one of those people is definitely uh, Judge Sarakin. Uh, One of the things that uh, we're so grateful for, and I've had a chance to review uh, his, his, uh, his life and other opinions, is that he always had compassion for the wrongly convicted. And I think uh, he made a statement one time, without compassion, you can't, there can be no justice. And uh, we see a a failure in in many places in the justice system uh, to actually have enough compassion for your fellow man to actually not only say something, but to do something. And I think that's what makes him an extraordinary jurist. and uh, in today's times, because you just don't see people that actually care about doing justice and actually being a good Samaritan and helping uh, their fellow man. Absolutely. And, and David, as you know, uh, what we said here tonight uh, thus far, how uh, a, uh, federal, uh, actually, federal judge actually Sarah can took the time. This call is from a federal prison. And he had the power 
uh, or the passion, rather, to be motivated to say, I will get involved. And he did not let his standard down. He made it clear that if there's anything here that does not, not, does not seem to be factual or the truth, his, his own conviction said, I'll walk away from it and not look back. What does that tell you about him as a judge, David, regarding his position regarding the IRP-5 and his, his moral conviction that drove him to get involved with that? Well, and I think that uh, that's uh, kind of relaying some of the discussion I, I talked about earlier. Justice has to be in a person's heart. It's not something you can really talk about. Uh, Judge Sarakin actually has justice in his heart. And the fact of the matter is this is nothing new for, uh, uh, for Judge Sarakin. Whether you go back in time to uh, uh, when he was looking out for uh, the consumer and large corporations who uh, failed to uh, disclose the risk of their products, tobacco companies, uh, he's always had compassion to deal with and to confront uh, the little man and then uh, and confront a large government bureaucracy uh, and, and other type things that, that, that would cause harm to, uh, 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 to the masses and, and to the common man. And uh, it's, a, it's a great testament to who he is as a man, as a human, human being, and as a judge. Uh, it's his uh man his family is very fortunate and the country is very fortunate the justice system is very fortunate to have a man uh like Ju uh, judge Sarakin. he is he is the standard in, in my view for uh what a judge should be like and as as my daughter kia uh pursues law school uh, I told her, patting yourself after Judge Sarakin. That's the perfect person that you would want to be like uh, as far as uh, uh, in the legal profession because he has compassion and uh, he's an exceptionally brilliant uh, uh, jurist and person in the law. Oh, absolutely right. And, and I mean, you couldn't say it better than that. Uh, and I'd like to share that. The, one thing we want to share with our listeners as well Um the fight for justice by uh, Judge Sarakin continues even at the, 80, at, at, the, at the age of 89 years young. Uh, to continue, uh, he sought out to do plays, which he did, David, regarding the IRP-6 of the race card, uh, I believe, uh, face up. Uh, what was your thoughts of, of that passion that drove him to that, and what was the impact of that work of Judge Sarakin even later in his life? Well, he was—he's persistent in doing justice. Again, you've seen that his whole career. So, uh, as he pursued justice for us, uh, this was another uh, selfless act for him to create something to, to create uh, public awareness about what actually happened to us, and, uh, in hopes that that somebody will listen and somebody will act to. Uh, 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 to help cure this uh, this gross injustice uh, that happened to us. Uh, honestly, I feel like I'm one of the most fortunate human beings to have uh, come across uh, a man. Let's call it from a federal prison. Go ahead, David. So uh, whether it's he's never been afraid to confront uh, racial injustice uh, and just 
he's I don't know he's he's the pinnacle of a judge as far as I'm concerned uh, in the United States. No, absolutely right, David. And uh, I want to thank you for taking time to call into the show tonight as we continue to honor uh, Judge Sarakin. Did you have any more any more thoughts you wanted to share? Okay, time must have time ran out on that. So there you have it, folks. David Banks, one of the wrongfully convicted uh, RP five, uh, telling his heart uh, about H. Lee about federal judge H. Lee Sarakin and uh, uh, William, when you hear that, that passion from, from David uh, speaks volumes. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it really tells you how judge Sarakin committed himself and has committed his life to fight for justice and, and, and to, to take on the stance that he did for the IRP five to look at the case and see that there was no wrongdoing here on behalf of these guys. These guys are innocent. To write letters and then to take his passion, which is is you know as a as a playwright, and commit to writing the face card the race card face up, excuse yep. me, mm-hmm. and to get the story out about these guys. I mean, he this is this is he saw the opportunity to use his platform, a platform that he he had to bring light to a case of injustice. Now, if we if we look at this and we say. How many more people out there could use their own platform? This judge here, after being after retired, after retiring, and could sit back and relax. He says, "No, these guys they have a story, and it's a story of injustice, story of wrongful conviction. They need to have their story retold, you know, told, and people need to be aware of it. And so, that's just one of one example of how much he's committed to fighting injustice." Well, that that's a a situation that um, leaves you speechless at times. Uh, you know, after 89 years of being on planet Earth, uh, you're tired. Something has to be a very special thing inside of you that tells you to keep pressing on. Uh, that is, I believe, what is so respectable uh, of who actually Sarakin, Judge Ashley Sarakin is. Ashley um, Sherkin was born in Perth Amboy, New Jersey on November 25th, 1928 and raised in Maplewood, New Jersey attended Dartmouth College followed by Harvard Law School where he graduated in 1953 in 1954, Judge Sherkin returned to Essex County, New Jersey where he joined a law firm that would become the law firm of Lasser Lasser Sherkin and, and I believe it's Hutchman Sherkin's private practice lasted until 1979 he was nominated by President Jimmy Carter and confirmed by the Senate to serve as a federal judge in the U.S. District Court of New Jersey. In 1994, Judge Sarakin was nominated by President Bill Clinton to the Third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals until he retired from the bench in 1996. Our honoring of Federal Judge H. Lee Sarakin continues after the break. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 
529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, We have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we We have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in, on college campuses and uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life based on what happened that night? That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up, when you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity. There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Coke Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America. And it's time to do something. Black History Month is a month of celebration, uh, a month of you know, how far we've come. Uh, our past, our people of today, uh, just a celebration of all black culture. The opportunities that we have today would not exist without the sacrifices of those before us. They really paved the way for us. The things that really matter during the month is just to continue to push forward, to make sure we continue honoring those thoughts and, you know, those individuals. When does it stop being 
partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. back ladies and gentlemen of america as on this very special night at ajc radio and to all of our listeners around the world in the united states we shine the light tonight on a gentleman i call him a legend a champion for justice retired judge, federal judge h lee Sarakin, laying the foundation of how it should be done and we are honored to honor him tonight as a result of the impact of judge Sarakin. We have done this. The H. Lee Sarakin Gavel of Honor Award, which, was, which is created by the advocacy organization A Just Cause, to recognize individuals who possess the qualities of the Good Samaritan, decry injustice and abuse, and make extraordinary personal sacrifices to advance the cause of justice for their fellow man and humanity as a whole. Appropriately, the first H. Lee Serakin Gavel of Honor recipient is its namesake, the Honorable H. Lee Serakin, federal judge, good Samaritan, fierce protector of constitutional rights and hero. Tonight, we launch that campaign, and from now and forever, the H. Lee Serakin Gavel of Honor will go to those that seek justice. That, uh, that brings you almost to tears, William, doesn't it? It does. I mean, you know, it's such a tremendous, tremendous honor, but it's, a, you know, a tremendous sign of respect for the service that this man has done uh, for those that needed so much. And, and you know, it's something to not take, take lightly. Uh, it's amazing, you know, when you really look at what it represents and those that um, who are willing to pick it up and continue the efforts that Judge Lee Sarakin has started. Absolutely, and we're going to honor him with that. And you'll learn more about that at our website, ajcradio.com. Uh, we will have that posted there uh, in the near future. And we're honored to be privileged enough and really humbled, uh, Lisa, to have such an award uh, with that type of uh, uh, 
impact behind it, I think is uh, it's probably one of the greatest things we could do in honoring uh, Judge Sarakin. I think it is, and I don't think <clears throat> there's <clears throat> excuse me anyone out there who we who would deserve this honor more for all the great things that he has done for his hard work for his dedication. I mean, this I have never seen anything like what I've seen with Judge Sarakin, and I think there's no one else more deserving. Oh, absolutely right. Right now, joining us, uh, I call him a friend. He's family now. Uh, Paul Cialino uh, actually has had the privilege to talk to Judge Serkin. He's a he's a he's a friend of of, of AJC Radio and at Just Calls, and we're honored that he took some time out of his busy schedule to join us in this very special honoring of Judge Serkin. Paul, you there? I am, gentlemen. Uh, Lisa, how are you guys doing tonight? We're doing good. Doing great. Well, Paul, we're doing some some things tonight in honoring Judge Sarakin. Uh, uh, you had the privilege. I just wanted you to, if you had a few moments, to share with us uh, the impact that from what you've seen in speaking to this champion for justice. Uh, what impact has he had on you? Well, I'm at a disadvantage because I didn't hear the first part of the show, but uh, Judge Sarakin is really ground zero for the innocence movement in this country, and. Uh, his releasing Hurricane Carter, uh, you know, back in 1986 was really the start that opened the floodgates to the thousands of wrongful convictions that have since been uh, shown in this country. Uh, Judge Surikin did this. There really wasn't no uh, game plan. I mean, you know, he, he put himself out there uh, for doing the right thing, the, the honorable thing, the thing that needed to be done. But I got to tell you all, it wasn't an easy thing to do. And, I'm, and Judge Sergan's the kind of guy that probably did not pay a lot of attention to what people would say or think. He, he ruled on the law and what he considered was the best evidence uh, available to him, and he did the right thing. It sounds like something that should be done every day, right, gentlemen? Lisa, I mean, but it's not. Let me tell you. Uh, it's like uh, uh, doing brain surgery, getting these guys out of jail. It's anything but simple. But Judge Sergan opened those floodgates. He really did. And... Uh, The the honor, you know, it it just drips off of him. You could not find a a better judge ever anywhere. And and if you were going to take a model for a judge, this is the guy you should build it after. He's got no agendas. He's not political. He reads the law. He looks at the law. He studies the cases. And he makes good decisions. He don't care about politics, newspaper headlines, none of that. And for him to have done that, you know, it's an incredible thing, and maybe today it's not thought of like that, but let me tell you, uh, he was a lone wolf back there in that day. There weren't too many of them that were doing it. You're absolutely right, Paul. I mean, back uh, in that time, that was that was the era of tough on crime, uh, you know, the crack kills, let's, let's pull everybody off the street. If you got half a gram of crack cocaine, we're locking you up forever. Uh, you know, the the just the just the entire change of, uh, you know, quote unquote, what justice was defined as in America. And it, it, it took the turn of if you get um, indicted, if you get accused, then you're going to prison and you're going for a long time. And Judge Sarakin came out to say, I don't care what, you know, the political atmosphere is and and even to this day you know you have a lot of a lot of those on in the in the uh, republican spectrum that you know the mention of judge sarakin name is not a good thing when you you talk to uh some republicans even some of those on capitol hill that we've talked to 
because of the fact that he took a different direction. When it was when it was tough on crime, he still took the uh, stance that justice should prevail, whether you're tough on crime or not. Justice, where is the upholding of the Constitution? And that's the stand that he took with Judge, with uh, Reuben Hurricane Carter. That's the stance that he took with everybody that uh, that he dealt with, and even all the way up until uh, you know the the IRP Solutions case. Where you know he said, "Hey, common sense tells me that there there is no scam, there's no crime here." And like you said, you know he he took he took the law not just for what the written word was that that you know this is absolute, but uh, you know as they say the the uh, you know basically the 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 there's a letter of the law and then there's there's the you know the basically the heart of the law that says this is what it was written for, this is the intent of the law, and without the intent of a crime, there is no crime. And, and, uh, you know, he, he is, uh, is a champion. He is a role model for any judge to look at him and say, you know what, this is how I should model my life. This is how I should model my position from the bench. No political ties, no matter who puts you on the bench, it doesn't matter Republican or Democrat, you should stand for justice and uphold the constitution by any means uh, necessary. And, and judge Sarah can did that his entire career. Yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, guys, unfortunately, that is not the case today because to get appointed to federal judgeship, you got to go in there and lay on the sword and tell them whatever they want to hear in order to get that appointment. And fortunately, uh, you know, Judge Surrogate is appointed by a Republican senator, uh, uh, Bill Bradley, who, who is like, you know, was a pre- presidential candidate for the Republican Party. You don't get much more Republican than that. He, Bradley comes up through the tough crime days. And let me tell you, uh, I knew Reuben Carter. Reuben and I spoke at a number of conferences together in Chicago at Northwestern. I knew the warm and cuddly Reuben, who'd been out of prison for many years. Reuben was not warm and cuddly when he was in front of Judge Sarakin, and his case was going on. Reuben was an angry black man, very angry. Uh, he never bent. He never wore prison clothes. He never ate prison food. Reuben told him the night he was going to see Judge, the day uh, Judge Sarakin was ruling, he's going to court. He gave away everything he owned, and guys were going, Reuben, uh, man, what what happens if you lose and you you got to come back? He goes, don't matter what that judge does, I ain't coming back. And Reuben was not kidding. So yep. it was not an easy thing to kick loose Reuben Hurricane Carter because uh, the entire city of Patterson, New Jersey, at least the white people there, were convinced he did it, the politicians, the, the prosecutors, the police, uh, and anybody who ever looked at that case. Um, up there, hated this case, hated Carter, was convinced he was guilty of this crime with no evidence except bad snitch testimony once again. And, you know, Judge Surrogan did a very, very brave thing. He did the right thing, but it did not win him a lot of friends except, you know, those of us who are out in the trenches doing this sort of thing. We get it. We understand it. Most people don't read transcripts. They don't know anything about the case file. Uh, they listen to 30-second sound bites from prosecutors and that's where they get their evidence. And fortunately, unfortunately for us, we all know this, uh, those sound bites, sound bites are often uh, uh, wrong, inaccurate, or out-and-out lies. So uh, letting Carter lose at that time was a very, very brave thing. And everything Judge Surrogate did after that was just as brave. And, and, and to this day, at, at a very advanced age, uh, he's still walking the walk and talking the talk. So uh, he, he's a national treasure. There's no question about it. Uh, this is the kind of guy we needed on the Supreme Court. Hell, 
at 90 years old, I'd put him on the Supreme Court today. He's better than, than most of them sitting there. Because Judge yeah. Surrogate rules, I, you guys know, and he rules by what's in front of him, what's the evidence, and what's right, not what's uh, politically expedient. Judge Surrogate is, it, they just don't get any better, and it's a shame we don't have more judges like him. No, absolutely right. And uh, I had the privilege, if the ladies and gentlemen have ever had the opportunity to watch the movie, The Hurricane, um, I'm going to let you hear the, the actor who actually played Judge Sarakin and his position. And these were the words of H. Lee Sarakin and why he ruled the way he ruled for Hurricane Carter. This court does not arrive at its conclusion lightly. On one hand, Reuben Carter has submitted a document alleging racial prejudice, coercion of testimony, and withholding of evidence. On the other hand, Mr. Carter was tried twice by two different juries, and those convictions were subsequently upheld by the New Jersey State Supreme Court. However, the extensive record clearly demonstrates to this court that Reuben Carter's conviction was predicated upon an appeal to racism rather than reason and concealment rather than disclosure. To permit convictions to stand which have as their sole foundation appeals to racial prejudice is to commit a violation of the Constitution as heinous as the crimes for which the defendants were tried and convicted. I hereby order Reuben Carter released from prison on this day well, there you have it. The words of Federal Judge H. Lee Sarakin. You see the impact and of the time that this happened. What stands out the most about Judge Sarakin is the conviction to stand true to what he believed. They say many times that a man's belief many times is even stronger than one's action because of the power of what a man believes to be true. Judge Sarakin is the true example of, that, of the strength of that belief. Dennis, when you hear that clip, that one section wasn't easy, as, as Paul just said. That took that took uh, courage. Courage. Uh, that took a lot of strength. I mean, for him to uh, come to that conclusion and then to uh, put it out there that it was racially motivated the decision. I mean, that's hard. I mean, especially back then. But uh, again, that attributes to the type of judge uh, uh, Judge uh, Sirkin is. Uh, it's not about uh, you know politically correct as a. Uh, uh, Paul said earlier, it's about doing the right thing, making sure that uh, no matter how, we, we, justice stands. And right. in order for it to stand, it has to be correct. When we start adding 
our, our opinions and, and how we feel and uh, what we like and don't like. And if it's not to the law, then we're going to have major problems. And that's why we have such a large uh, amount of people in prison today. And you can tell that by, you know, the, the, you know, the increase of exonerations. But I tell you, that judge is truly, that, that really, that, that motivated me and that just touched me. Hey, Paul, your thoughts when you heard that, man. It gives you goosebumps. Well, let me tell you something, because, guys, the story does not end there, because now Judge Surikin kicks loose Reuben, and what happens is the state goes, ape crap, and they appeal it up to the Supreme Court. They want him back in jail while the appeal's being done, and Surikin's not having it. Not, absolutely not. He's being released right now. So the pressure to keep him, most judges would have said, you know what? Yeah, okay, State, I don't want to fight with you guys. I don't want you mad at me, talking about me forever. I'll let Carter stew for another three, four, five years while this pushes up to the Supreme Court, not Judge Sarakin. Uh-uh, out the door you go, because he knew Carter was innocent. And, and I might add, you know, Judge Sarakin and the defense team was, was excellent that Reuben had. And, and, and one of the key figures was this white guy who was a public defender investigator who really went to the law for Carter and, and did heroic work on this thing and exposed all the nonsense that was going on with the Patterson PD and all the racial crap that, that ended up – this, this was a racial case. I mean, they hated Carter. They were going to put a triple homicide on him. They, facts be damned. And, and they did it, and they did it largely with white juries, right? You know, here we go, jury of our peers, right, guys? Uh, ask Reuben Carter, and we can't. He's dead, unfortunately. There were no peers of Reuben on that jury. And – Reuben got smoked twice in the appellate court. I mean, as we see over and over, four or five, six times. So Judge Surrogate is just not overturning one, one case from, you know, a little uh, superior court in the county of uh, Patterson, New Jersey. He's overturning appellate courts, uh, multiple decisions, multiple jurors. This is a brave, hard thing to do. And Judge Surrogate is a pretty bright guy politically. I'm pretty sure he knew. This was not going to bode well with, with his, his people out there, his crowd, his legal circles. And, and I think for the most part, it did not. So what he, is, what he did is even more brave when you examine it closely. And, and it, you just cannot say enough. And you guys are saying enough. I mean, you certainly, you guys get it. You understand it. You've read it. But most people listening to this do have no idea. Watch the movie. And, and, it, and it's not totally 100% accurate. And then... Uh, Judge Surrogan's got this brilliant line, by the way, concerning the movie in Denzel Washington, and you all may not remember, but I, I know the guy who produced this movie, who bought the life rights from Hurricane. Hurricane Carter got $5,000 for the rights to that movie, guys. Five grand. That was it. Not because the guy was trying to screw him, but because that's all the money he had. He thought it was a great story. He's a white radio disc jockey from British Columbia who, who got this thing rolling. But Denzel Washington, who should have won the Academy Award that year, got screwed. He didn't win it. He wanted the next year for something else. Uh, Judge Surrogan said, hey, if Carter's innocent, he deserved the Academy Award, not Denzel. That, that's one of the greatest lines out of this thing. If, right. if Carter's guilty, I'm sorry, if Carter was guilty, he deserved the Academy Award, not Denzel Washington. And that's a great line, but it's a true line. I mean, it, you know, Reuben was passionate about his innocence, as most innocent people are. Uh, he just happened to be a lot writer, self-taught, wrote a great biography while he was in jail. And I don't think Reuben ever had much education. So this was two extraordinary people 
coming together at the right moment. And if it's not for Judge Surrogan, uh, Ruben dies in prison. There's no question about it. He never gets out. And Judge Surrogan kind of he opens the floodgates to what we have today. And uh, this country uh, should be putting a monument up of H. Lee Surrogan, I'm telling you guys. I mean, he, he is a one of the true legal giants with William O. Douglas and God, you know, a hundred other judges who, who who have done the right thing throughout the course of the history of this country. Judge Surrogan is at the top. He should be on Mount Rushmore of judges. Absolutely. Well, without question, uh, Paul, and I don't know how your schedule is this evening. We got uh, really a part one and a part two interview, about, about 17 minutes, 20 minutes uh, a piece, roughly. Uh, we're going to hear uh, of an interview that was done. Uh, by uh, Judge Sarakin. Are you on a schedule or you need to get back? I know you've been dealing with some things today, and we definitely want to be I got a little bit of time. I can listen to some of it. I can't listen to the whole thing, probably, but I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by it all. And by the way, uh, you all can get this on Apple iTunes, so I suggest you get it because this, this is really a, an important show, and you guys are really doing a great job with this tonight. It's, uh, it's important that people hear this. And Thanks, Paul. It's and you for judges to hear this, man. So they know they can do the right thing, and there are people who will, who will back them and support them for doing the right thing. Oh, without question. And remember, you say uh, Cliff alluded to some of the people that just didn't like him, uh, Judge Sarakin, for the stand he took, but there's plenty of admirers, plenty of fans out there that respect Judge Sarakin as well and, and stand with that type of uh, conviction. Uh, so you're going to have it on both sides. It's just the way it works. And we're we're happy to honor him for his for his uh, his voice uh, and his champion for justice is just continues to go on. Paul, if you have to disconnect from the interview, feel free. And uh, thank you for taking some time tonight uh, to uh, be a part of this show, this celebration, uh, looking at the careers we honor. Federal Judge H. Lee Sarakin, we appreciate you so much. Uh, thanks, guys. It was an honor to talk about the judge, especially my, uh, you know, self. I mean, I, I'm honored to just contribute anything to him. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, we go to part one of the interview. Federal Judge H. Lee Sarek. Yes, I can do it quickly. Uh, I was a trial lawyer for 25 years and then was appointed to the U.S. District Court by Jimmy Carter, President Carter, and then elevated to the U.S. Court of Appeals by President Clinton. And the case you're referring to probably, which for which I think I'm best known, is the Reuben Hurricane Carter case. Actually, uh, what, what the federal courts do is we uh, review under habeas corpus, whether or not the state court has committed any federal constitutional violations. So that's how it came to me. And I found that Mr. Carter's rights had, had been violated, violated and granted him, in effect, a new trial. And they, they decided not to retry him after going all the way to the United States Supreme Court to reverse my decision. Well, I was very concerned. Um, I had a very um, uh, strong, let's, let's put it that way, Senate hearing in connection with my confirmation to the United States Court of Appeals. Uh, the Republicans, the conservatives, were very um, concerned about my liberal background. Uh, I was in the Senator Dole's Hall of Shame, which to me was a badge of honor. 
Um, but uh, what I thought was once I was confirmed, uh, they would let up, but uh, I had decided in a couple of cases, as I recall it, to overturn some death penalty convictions, and they jumped on me again. And I thought um, by resigning, retiring in protest, it might make a difference, but I have to admit, uh, my uh, grandstand was just that. It didn't, I don't think it served any purpose. If anything, I think it emboldened the conservatives uh, to be more critical of, of liberal rulings. And the thing is, um, Judge Sarakin, that, you know, it may seem that way on the surface, but the fact that you stood up for what is right uh, speak volumes to, um, you know, those of us who I, I know when, when this happened, I mean, I was, man, I was a little kid <laughs> when when Dole was out, you know, talking what he was talking, but looking at it now and realizing the the atmosphere in the judicial, the whole system, I look at this as, you know, you taking a stand and saying, hey, I might end my career, but I am still going to stand up for what is right. And and you have to be committed for that. And I'll, I, I just wanted to address one of the things that, that you mentioned during that time. You said in the current political campaign, enforcement of constitutional rights is equated with being soft on crime. To hold judges responsible yeah. for crime is like blaming doctors for disease. And I think that statement speaks volumes not only to the uh, to the basic, just common sense of what the law is about. I mean, you as a judge say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to uphold the Constitution here. If you're saying it's being, somebody accused you that, you know, that's being soft on crime, it's like we look at the, the uh, prison system now and we have so many people, even uh, Attorney General Eric Holder said it, you know, he, he speaks, but not much action yet. Hopefully he will. But he said that there's too many people, far too many people in prison for no good law enforcement reason. And to be a judge that says, hey, you know, I want to make sure that when someone is innocent, that we uphold their constitutional rights and ensure that they are not spending time in prison. And your statement about well, that's, saying, that's the thing that troubles me the most, and that was this business of equating upholding the constitutional rights of people accused of crimes with being on soft on crime. I always used to say that's my job. That's the oath that I took was to uphold the Constitution and to equate the two. I thought not only was it disservice to the <clears throat> judges, but to the public. I mean, the. the for uh, politicians to constantly be saying that these judges are being soft on criminals, I think hurts respect for the system. And, and that troubled me considerably as well. So as I said, I, I thought I was doing something that would make a difference. Uh, I appreciate your comments, but um, uh, so far as the conservatives were concerned, they were glad to get rid of me. Well, first of all, I, I think the country and even the legislators have come to the conclusion that the three-strike three rules uh, are terrible, um, that, that people are getting life sentences for stealing a television set if it's their third conviction. But my greatest concern now, we hear a lot about wrongful convictions after trial, but I, I think there's a whole other problem lurking out there that isn't getting enough attention. And that is in both the state and federal systems, about 95 to 96% of those charged enter pleas of guilty. 
And what's happening all too often, so far as I'm concerned, is defendants poorly represented um, uh, are being told that if they take a plea, they'll serve a shorter sentence, but if they run the risk of a trial, they'll serve a longer sentence. And I think an awful lot of innocent people under that kind of pressure are pleading guilty and going to prison. And I think that's a major program that, that just isn't, uh, uh, isn't being addressed enough. So, so do you think that, that trial by jury has basically gone to the, gone to the wayside? It, it's just, it's just, it's just gone because of these plea bargains and stuff? Well, sure. Because if you think about it only, and certainly with criminal cases, only about five to 6% of all criminal cases actually go to trial. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get back to the interview with Judge Serkin. How enjoyable uh, to hear him talk, to speak very candid uh, about his position, Dennis. Uh, speaks a lot about what's going on. Right now, we are privileged uh, here uh, in a moment. We've had some folks that are going to be uh, actually sharing their thoughts about Judge Serkin, the impact that has been made uh, by Judge Sarah Dennis is, is over the top. Your thoughts on that? Again, you just heard him. I mean, he's, he's just straightforward. And it's all about justice. It's about doing right uh, by the American people. Anybody that's uh, accused of a crime or anyone that's innocent, I mean, he's just a fighter. I mean, he's, he says it's not about politics or anything like that. It's about doing the right thing. And how do you do the right thing as a judge? I mean, you judge rightfully. I mean, you, you, you don't let nothing influence your decision, only that it be right and only that, you know, whatever, whatever the crime is or whatever one is being accused of, that they're true, that they either did it or they didn't. And I'll tell you, this judge, I mean, he's right on it. Oh, absolutely right. We, we are honored and privileged to have with us, joining us in this really honoring of Judge Sarakin is David Edelstein, uh, who has uh, had a direct uh, uh, I'd say uh, connection with Judge Zarekin, and we bring him on now. And David, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And and David, uh, we've been talking about uh, you know there's so many accolades, if you will. Uh, we're just floored, man. We were sitting there talking to some of the folks here. Uh, this could be a two three show situation of all that he has accomplished and what he continues to do. Share with our audience your. Uh, uh, relationship with Judge Serkin, how he's impacted your life. Uh, share, that, share that with our listeners, if you would. I sure will. Well, uh, I run a theater out in San Diego called the North Coast Repertory Theater. And uh, Judge Serkin and his uh, beautiful wife, Margie, have uh, been patrons for quite a while. They've come to the theater. And some years back, he said to me, you know, I'm not a playwright, but I've written a little play. Would you mind uh, taking a look at it for me? And I read it, and it was about a social issue. And uh, it was a short play. It ran about uh, 40 minutes. But it was, uh, it was well-written. It was thoughtful, and uh, it was profound. And he said, well, what can I do with it? I said, well, why don't we do a reading of it? So we, did a, we put a reading of it together at my theater, and we invited uh, some of Judge Sarakin's friends to attend. And um, just a couple, 200 showed up. And... <laughs> And we did a reading of this play, and it was, everybody loved it, and we had a great discussion afterwards. And then about six months later, um, Judge Sarkin said, David, uh, I got another one. And it was another one based on another issue that was in the headlines. 
and we did that, and and we've now we've done about uh, seven or eight of them to to date, and they're always full houses filled with lively discussions, and he's he's so right on in in the um, subject matter that he picks out of the headlines to uh, to shine light on, and he gets discussions going, and he makes people think about what's going on in the world and what can we do to make it better, and he doesn't. Um, take sides in his play he presents the he presents them very even handedly and allows the audience to actually draw their own conclusions um and and he, you know and he's such a great guy i mean you you meet somebody like um judge sarakin and and you go this is the real deal this is somebody who has who lived it and is continuing to live it and um so i i do everything i can to be associated with him no, absolutely right, David. And and as you know, we we've come to meet you through the uh, the play written by Judge Sarakin about the IRP six. Tell us a little bit about that and what passion Judge Sarakin brought to that story. Yeah, well, he he was so moved and so um, uh, kind of outraged, I guess, about the treatment um, of the IRP uh, six and that, that or IRP seven, and he wrote the play, and we did that the reading of it like like we had done with the other ones, but this one was different. It really sparked uh, passion in people, and we wanted to do more with it. So we ended up actually uh, bringing the actors back and taping the play. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's on YouTube, and it's had, uh, it's had thousands of views now uh, to get the story out there about this injustice that's taken place. And, um, you know, I was just thrilled that we could be part of helping get the story out there and, um you know, yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of a Lee Sarakin fan. If if he's behind it and he believes it, I go with him because I know uh, he's not going to make uh, a judgment that isn't based on facts and isn't based on uh, what is the right thing to do. Oh, absolutely. And, and we want to take a moment now and thank you, uh, David, for uh, you, your theater there, the actors that came forward, uh, and all that Judge Sarakin has submitted to you and to get the message of, of true justice out and and we, we can't tell you how privileged and honored we are to have you on this program and to have come into a relationship with Judge Sarakin and to know him as a person uh, that we have found to be extraordinary. And uh, we thank you uh, for that, and, and, and con- we wish you continued success uh, as you go forward in your endeavors there. Uh, and hopefully with quite another handful, if you will, of plays submitted by Judge Sarakin. I hope so, too. And if you're listening, Lee, Keep them coming. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Have a good evening, David. And uh, you hey, have a friend. Thanks, thanks. Thank you so thank much. You we for, thank, thank you for taking the time to, to honor, uh, honor Lee because he deserves it. So thank you. Thank you. You have a good uh, rest of your night. You too. Bye-bye. And there you have it. Uh, David Edelstein. Um, William, when you hear him talk, uh, Judge Sarakin is leaving an imprint, if you will, every place he goes. Yes, he does. I mean, it, you know, it's one of those cases where wherever he places his hand, his thumbprint is uh, is left. Uh, you know, it's an impression that has touched lives. And I think the thing that's so amazing is is that you know he's doing, he's still impacting lives. You know, into his 80s, and you heard it in the clip. You heard the energy and the passion in his voice, and even Leah had had alluded. That the the IRP six case um, was a case where he was enraged by what was going on. So this man was is driven by.
by this passion, this emotion, and he's not going to let it uh, let let itself, you know. Wow, uh, awesome is, is the word you have, and you you don't have enough adjectives uh, to come up with uh, to to honor. Uh, and to send really a lot of accolades to Judge Serkin. Let's go back to that interview and what he's talking about regarding justice. Uh, isn't being addressed enough. So, so do you think that that trial by jury has basically gone to the gone to the wayside? It, it's just, it's just. It's just gone because of these plea bargains and stuff? Well, sure, because if you think about it, only, and certainly with criminal cases, only about 5 to 6% of all criminal cases actually go to trial. Uh, insofar as jury trials are concerned, frankly, uh, my experience has been, and there have been a few exceptions, but... Uh, uh, I, I think juries get it right, maybe not for the right reasons, and maybe they don't particularly understand the specific instructions, but whatever works in the jury room, whatever life experiences come together, seem to come up with the right decision. So I don't think the problem is that the juries are getting it wrong too often, but I think much more often people are pleading guilty when they are really innocent for fear of uh, facing longer sentences. Right, and, and what you look at is that the, uh, the judicial system has given far too much power to the prosecutor in, in all of these situations where the prosecutor can, can basically threaten someone with a life sentence if they don't take a plea bargain for 20 years, and that is totally uh, just just ludicrous. And we look at well, you know, what they do is overcharge, so right. that you know they they can come down and reach a plea agreement for a lesser charge and make it look as if as if they've actually given something up. But there's tremendous pressure on poor people, uneducated people. Uh, they don't know the system. They're afraid of it. They they usually have an assigned lawyer, and I don't mean to knock assigned lawyers or public defenders, but they're overworked and underpaid, and as a result, they can't give the same attention to these cases as, as rich people get. And all you have to look at, even in the cases where you see exonerations, in almost every one of those cases, you'll see an instance where an innocence project has come in or some major law firm has come in and thrown a lot of people at it and provided a basis to get these convictions reversed. But the average person doesn't have that kind of backup or, or money, and therefore uh, the, the system works against the, the poor and the uneducated. Absolutely. And I'm looking at, uh, you know, the short excerpt that we have from your bio, your bio, and it says you've authored uh, over 2,000 written opinions, settled about 3,000 cases, and presided over more than 1,000 cases uh, in all types of federal and diversity jurisdiction issues. And right now, yes. the, case that, the case that a just cause is looking at is this case that we've dubbed the IRP-6, where we have six uh, business executives they went into debt while they were uh, trying to market their product, and the federal government has uh, basically come up with some type of way to to try to call that a criminal act when it is just business debt. And as part of that, you know, the, the trial has finished. The case is now on appeal, but as part of that appeal, 
one of the issues is that there are over 200 pages of court transcripts missing. And the, the writing judge um, has had this case, the writing judge, um, for the audience that doesn't know, is one of the appellate judges. The writing judge has had the case for over a year now, since last May. And what we as a just caller are trying to figure out, how is it that a writing judge could have, the, have a case where you have over 200 pages of, of transcript missing? The other two judges, the three panel uh, appellate judge um, panel, They've all looked at it and said, this is what's going on. How is it that a writing judge can have a case for over a year where not only are there 200 pages of transcript missing, but in those 200 pages is a sidebar where the defendants are saying that a judge violated their Fifth Amendment right. The judge is saying she did not. And this is Judge Christine Arguello in the Tenth Circuit. And the judge is the one that is fighting for these transcripts, uh, you know, not to be released. And you would think if she did the right thing, that she would be the first one saying, get the transcript, show exactly what's happened so we can move on. She's fighting to have those transcripts released. And we are wanting to get your uh, your your opinion, your thoughts on that as a as a former appellate judge. Well, of course, I hesitate to comment on a pending case, but let's just talk hypothetically. Yeah. Um, uh, if there were a case such such as this, where um, there's a claim that the judge said or did something that compelled the defendants or at least gave them the impression that they had to testify, and the, there was no transcript of that before the appellate court, uh, I think an appellate court would do one of two things. They'd either order that the transcript be produced uh, or they have to reverse because uh, uh, they have to reserve if, if the unavailability of the transcript uh, makes it impossible for the appellate court to determine whether or not the prejudicial error or not has, has been committed. That's, that's, a, that's a Supreme Court case. Uh, I think it's called Haber, H-A-B-E-R. Um, so... To me, you know, as I said, I don't want to comment on a pending case because there may be other things that's going on so far as the court's concerned. But if I were faced with the fact that the transcript were essential, I'd either say present it or I'm going to reverse it and say you'd have a new trial. Uh, that to me would be the only two choices. You certainly cannot decide it if the critical discussion is not before the appellate court. How are they going to decide it if they don't have the information? But what I found interesting that the judge is resisting. Why, why would the judge resist the presentation of the transcript? Yeah, well, uh, if that discussion took place, as I, as I assume it did at the trial, it might have just been the judge saying, we don't need it today. But it doesn't sound to me as though the judge were saying, you know, you can never have it. But what happened since? I mean... Has there been an application for the transcript and been denied? Well, what's the status of it? Absolutely. There have been, there was uh, two or three motions during the trial where the defendants are saying, we want that piece of the transcript. And the judge continues right. to deny the motions, saying we're not even going to deal with it. Uh, I already addressed it. Then they say, we want, them, we want to, we have filed a motion. We want. Okay, and ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to come back uh, to finish that interview. So much information. 
man, this is a thrill uh, tonight for all of us. I'm sure our listening audience is. We honor Federal Judge H. Lee Sarakin, retired judge, Federal Judge H. Lee Sarakin. And I'll tell you, you don't have enough time in a show to do it all. We're going to do our very best. And if necessary, we'll bring a part two of honoring this magnificent judge. Right now, we're going to be joined uh, by a Mark Christopher Lawrence, as well as Elliot Cephas. They were actually actors in the race card face up. I'm going to get their thoughts on the impact that Judge Sarakin had on them. Mark and Elliot, are you there? Uh, yes. This is Mark. Yeah. Hey, Lamar, how's it going? It's going hey. good. Hey, listen, we were so honored. We are still impacted by your performances of the race card face up. And as we honor uh, Federal Judge Sarakin, we wanted to get your thoughts, the impact he had on you folks. And Mark, I'll start with you first. Uh, tell us a little bit of the impact uh, that this particular uh, play had on you and, and, and Judge Sarakin's passion to make sure it was delivered correctly. Um, I, you know, first and foremost, I, you know, Judge Sarakin's work is just amazing and riveting. Um, and I think the, 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 the overall impact that it had on me is, is uh, it, it gave me a feeling of helplessness. Um, here we are uh, in, in, you know, the, the 2000s and stuff like this continues to happen. Um, so it, it, it I, I think it, it forces me, you know, as an African-American male to really watch what I say and do. And I think that, that is the, the overall impact for me. It's just, it makes me watch and say what I do. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Mark and I, you did an outstanding job. So honored and privileged to have you here to share your thoughts. And uh, Elliot, give us your thoughts on Judge Sarakin and, and the impact on you and had. Well, well, you know, I can really only echo that. Uh, uh, those those same feelings raged up within me of um, of, of fear. Um, I had recently uh, done some other work uh, regarding prison industrial complex. So right before I came into um, into contact with um, Judge Sarakin's play, and um, it, it deals with those same issues and hits them on the head. And uh, to, to see that these men were uh, were uh, really working on something uh, to be successful and develop themselves, and uh, even for the the good of our own country, and to have it turn on them is very frightening. No, absolutely right, and we share that sentiment. Um, and uh, if you had one thing to say, to describe one adjective, uh, Mark, to describe Judge Sarakin, what would that be? Um, wow. It's kind of hard to put it into one adjective, but, but I, you know, I would, I would definitely say, um, loving. Loving. Elliot? Um, in this case, persistence. You know, there's not too many people that have a loss of words to describe a person because there's so many good adjectives you could use and you want to make it sure you give the best. I would presume that's the struggle. Um, That's awesome. Uh, Mark, Elliot, thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day. I know you guys are so busy. 
uh, to join us in this honoring of Judge Serikin. We explained er- earlier, not sure if you actually uh, had the opportunity to hear what we were doing, uh, but we have a just cause. Um, advocacy has now uh, taken a position, the gavel, gavel of uh, the H. Lee Serikin Gavel of Honor Award uh, is going to be given to those who stand for true justice and follow the motto and the example of Judge Serikin. And nice. uh, we, we wanted you folks to know about that. We'll, we'll actually uh, keep you posted on when that actually comes. The, the, the recipients of that award will keep you up to date. But it's called the H. Lee Serikin Gavel of Honor, created by Just Cause. And it says, for individuals who possess the qualities of the Good Samaritan, to cry injustice and abuse and make extraordinary personal sacrifices to advance the cause of justice for their fellow man and all humanity. And that award will stand to the end of time as we take some moments tonight to honor one of the greatest uh, judges of our time, Federal Judge H. Lee Serikin. Thank you guys for taking time tonight with us. We appreciate you. Our thoughts and prayers are always with you. We wish you the very, very best and success. Thank you. Truly a pleasure, Amar. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. There you have it, folks. The actors, the emotion from these actors about the impact of federal judge H. Lee Serikin. And if H. Lee, Judge Serikin is listening tonight, one thing you can lay down tonight in great comfort is to know one thing, that you are well-loved. And the impact that you have made on a nation, on a country, and on a system cannot be measured. This is AJC Radio as we continue the honoring of retired federal judge, a champion for justice, H. Lee Serikin. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly annual or one-time donation you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions call a just cause today 1-855-529-4252 we seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there Dad's not in the other room to make him feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. know what that song is the music 
title of the song is called Hero. There are many definitions that one would try to explain about what a hero is. Usually it's one that's in trouble in dire straits, dire situations that apparently would look hopeless, the hero comes along. Tonight we have discovered very clearly a hero within the criminal justice system that has fallen off the tracks, but we find a motto in which to follow. Whose motto is that? Federal retired Judge H. Lee Serkin is that hero. He may not think of himself as that, but I can guarantee you right now, from what we've discovered tonight, hero doesn't do it justice. A very special thanks to Federal Judge H. Lee Serkin for his example of honesty, integrity, and being someone that is about the people. A couple of people on Twitter had something to say about Judge Serkin. Judge Arthur Hunter writes, one of my favorite movie judges is Judge H. Lee Serkin from The Hurricane. The impact of that story really shaped his direction. Candace Chappé writes, Judge Serkin, an amazing fair spokesman who ensures our Constitution is upheld for justice for all men. Thank you for your understanding, interpretation, and application of the law. Particle Sons at Twitter writes, Serkin was my judge. Thank you for being a fair judge. I'm sure there are many more who echo that sentiment. Right now, we go to the conclusion, part one of that interview with Judge Eric. We want that piece of the transcript. And the judge continues to deny the motions, saying we're not even going to deal with it. Uh, I already addressed it. Then they say we want to, we want to, we have filed a motion. We want to have a discussion with the court reporter on where is this part of the transcript that is, she is now saying is not available. Since the trial, the court reporter still never uh, relinquished that part of the transcript to the clerk's office of the court. So as of this moment, that piece of the transcript is still not available or 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 missing or or um or or whatever it is that is not available and even uh one of the attorneys mark garagos there uh i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of myself there's a civil case against the court reporter where she is in breach of contract because a just cause paid her to basically transcribe the entire transcript and deliver it uh for us to help the defendants with it and so now we've had to sue her and our attorney Mark Garagos is on the uh, is on the case, and he said in his 31 years of practice he's never seen a case like this where there's missing transcripts, and the judge is fighting to have it delivered. And the court reporter, I mean, the court reporter acts plainly states that the court reporter has to deliver this to the clerk of the court, and he's 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 totally baffled, befuddled, whatever you want to call it, that this is not available. And well, um, the, the, law requires, the law requires that it 
that it be transcribed. Is there a sound recording, assuming that the, the, the notes are missing? Or isn't there a sound record, simultaneous sound recording? And that's the thing. The, the defendants, IRP6, put in a motion to say they want any copy of what happened, whether it's whether it's a, uh, a audio recording, whether it's video, whether it's a written transcription, they want any and the judge will not allow it to be brought to the table. Hence the reason that the court reporter is being sued now. And um, since the court reporter has been sued, and this this may uh, sound ironic. I mean, uh, you know, very bizarre to you, because when we went to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Denver, Colorado, at the 10th Circuit and said, why don't you, as you know, the attorney of Colorado, make this court reporter do her job? Like you said, it's, it's required by law that she turns this over. Well, the U.S. Attorney's Office says we have no jurisdiction over this court uh, reporter, whether that is or not, whatever. They suggested, why don't you sue her? When we did sue her, then the, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Denver came to her aid and said she was doing her job as a federal employee, and now we are taking her up under our wings. And so not only are we fighting against the court reporter, but now we're fighting against the U.S. Uh, government in Denver, Colorado, to try to get this situation resolved. And, you know, going back to the appellate judges, and like you said, hypothetically, you know, we're not asking you to um, to get into too much as being a, a, a former appellate judge. But hypothetically, is there any reason that, you know, the appellate court would not say, hey, you guys either remand this back to court or you throw it out because we don't have the entire record to go off of? How is it that it could be taken so long to come to this conclusion, to finish writing the opinion and deliver it to the public? Yeah, that, well, that's surprising. I mean, there are um, usually a, an appellate court has some internal rules uh, as to how long an opinion should take. But of course, there's no way to enforce that. You know, most uh, my recollection from my court, we had something like a 90 day rule. But of course, if it's a big case and it takes time, uh, they're not going to send the marshals over and arrest you if you're if you're late. But um, a year sounds a long time. And there you have it. As Cliff explained to Judge Sarakin the injustice uh, levied against the IRP six, uh, now known as the RP5. One note, and uh, I'll tell you, the Washington Post did a story on the injustice of the RP6, again, now known as the RP5, and Judge Sarakin took time to write a letter to journalist Tom Jackman of the Washington Post, and this is what uh, Judge Sarakin wrote. He says, Tom, I thought it might help if you had a brief summary of my view of the case when you have time for it. If you are constructing a building and you lie to subcontractors that you have the money or source to pay them, but you have no means or intention of paying them, you have committed a crime. But if you truly believe in good faith that you will finish the building and intend to pay them and will have the money to do so, you are liable civilly if you don't pay but you haven't committed a crime. As you probably already know, that's the difference between criminal and civil fraud, criminal intent. This can't possibly be a scam as the government contended. 
Why pick law enforcement as your pigeons? Why would these highly educated and experienced persons spend years and money working on the program? How do you make money by having the staffing companies pay the employees? What's the motive here? What's the scam? Why fly around the country trying to sell it? Why lease expensive space? Why hire former law enforcement officers to work on it? Why hire a patent law firm? There's absolutely no evidence evidence which would have supported criminal intent. Everything points to the opposite. Even if they lied about existing contracts, which they deny doing. Apparently, the local FBI agent in charge and the first grand jury that heard the matter came to the same conclusion. There are a number of other issues, but to me, that is the one that stands out. I look forward to talking to you, Judge Serikin. Right now, we are honored and privileged to bring on this program two law clerks for Judge Serikin. Lynn Nooner and Jennifer, I believe it's Kaleo? Yes, that's right. Okay, thank you so much. I wanted to make sure I pronounced that right. We have a sound here. Uh, are you guys near anything that would be causing that? Are you, are you on a landline or a cell? I'm on a cell. So, yes. I'll- okay, there it goes. Okay. Not sure what that is. If one of you, uh, both of you may step to a different area just to make sure we get your words clear here. I want to see if I can try to get It might be me. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, that's perfect. Okay. Okay, and uh, who is Lynn? So, Lamont, this is Lynn Nooner, and thank you very much for having both of us on the line. We clerked yeah. for Judge Sarikin together in 1992 to 1993. Okay. Tell us a little bit, if you can, Lynn, and then, then I'll get to Jennifer. Uh, Lynn, tell us a little bit of the impact that Judge Serikin has had on your life. Uh, we've been talking about him being a hero, a champion. I mean, you name it, any adjective that can reach, the, can reach that level, we're trying to share that. What, were you, what was your experience with Judge Serikin that stood out the most? Judge Serikin was an amazing mentor to both of us. He is a gifted legal thinker. He is an amazing teacher about the humanity of the law. He looked for the individual human dimension in each of the cases that we had. And it was such a privilege to have our first legal job, our apprenticeship, be under the tutelage of Judge Sarakin. Yes, and uh, uh, that's what we're hearing. Uh, Jennifer, your thoughts on the judge? Um, Well, I certainly agree with everything that Lynn just said. He was an incredible mentor and teacher, and um, while certainly pliable, as as Lynn said, he everyone involved in the case um, was. Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, we're losing you back. I actually went outside for. I'm not sure. If it's Why don't you do this? Because Yes. Try to hang up and call right back in, and we'll get you right back in the call. Okay. 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 And then stay with us if you want. Let you stay on. 
Okay. Yeah. So I don't I don't hear that laying on yours. I think there was just some type of bad connection there. Um, and we, we we like to know what you said. Everybody that has talked about Judge Sarakin tonight. Um, there's the noise again. I'm not sure what that interference is. Uh, Lynn, do you hear it on your end? No, not at all. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit. I'm, we're not going to uh, hold you much longer. Uh, we, we, what you said earlier came out very clear to our listeners. We stop at times. You want to make sure uh, that what you're saying is heard by our listeners across the country. So uh, we apologize for having to do that, but that's to make sure you are heard clearly uh, because your words matter. So uh, tell us a little bit, uh, what, was, what is the most that you think, uh, I, I would say the thing that influences Judge Sarakin after working with him, what drives his passion to be what it is, if you had to make an assessment? Interestingly, I think the judge is highly motivated by the experience of the individual who comes into an interaction with the justice system and is looking to have a wrong made right. Whether that's Reuben Hurricane Carter or an individual seeking social security disability benefits or an individual who is going through the criminal justice process, I think the judge feels compelled to show each of those litigants the dignity of the justice system and the fairness that he believes should be brought to each and every case. I think that overall he has been a remarkable leader in the civil rights movement, but he took great care and pain on each of his criminal sentencings, on each of his individual litigations to make sure that the litigants had due process and a fair opportunity to be heard. And that was nothing short of extraordinary. I don't know, absolutely right, because it's something that is lacking uh, within our criminal justice system today. And I'm not saying all judges. Uh, I believe Judge Sarakin has set the bar of how it is, how it should be done. Uh, and I think if people follow his motto, I think our criminal justice system turns into the right direction. Uh, that's honestly what I feel. And uh, uh, it had to be one great privilege for you to work with, work with Judge Sarakin. What an honor, uh, a privilege to have the opportunity to learn from someone uh, that's, that's doing it the right way versus the wrong way. And I think that that stands out above anything else to me. Um, Lynn, I want to thank you for joining us. Did you have anything else you wanted to add about Judge Sarakin in closing to our listeners um, as we spend this night honoring him for his, his service to this nation? I would say in closing that the judge continues to inspire his larger clerkship family. You know he is a jazz drummer. He is a devoted family man. He is a wonderful grandfather, and he is an amazing role model for everyone in his clerkship family, far and near. And to see him continue to be engaged, continue to write letters, essays, articles, plays, and continue to drum at his advanced stage is truly inspiring for all of us. Absolutely. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you continued success, and thank you for uh, adding to a, a full show of honoring uh, the champion 
uh, and Judge Sarakin. We appreciate you so very much. Lamont, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. And there you have it, uh, Lynn Nooner talking about Judge Sarakin. And I did come across the fact that Judge Sarakin was a drummer. Uh, and Judge Sarakin, if you listen tonight, I also am a drummer. Uh, have been a drummer for over 30 years. I had the opportunity to see you, uh, to see you play uh, actually on YouTube. Uh, and I said, man, he's, he's getting it and putting it down like he needs to. Uh, great honor and privilege as far as to be connected as, as musicians. That's awesome. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you, we continue to be blown away, William, as we talk about Sarakin. Not a negative word. Nothing. There, there, there. Really, we've got to the point. At least I have got. There are no words. You know, this man is is just so amazing. The things that he's done, the way he's impacted people's lives. You know, professionally. Listen to the clerks there. They they're going back in time, saying this man has laid a foundation for them, awesome. and they will, they will always remember it, uh, and and so forth. You know, and we will continue. Uh, you know, um, um, here to hear more and more amazing things. Uh, and ways he has impacted people's lives. It's, I mean, even from the actors that took part in the play, you know, they look at it and they said, loving. You know, uh, I'm trying to remember what the other characteristic was that they, that they mentioned, but his dedication, devotion, uh, and commitment, you know, all these are words that, uh, that describe him or tried to describe him. No, absolutely right. And, uh... I'll tell you what, uh, it continues to be something that uh, everybody listening should pay attention to. Uh, and right now, I believe we got Jennifer Kaleo back. Jennifer, are you with us? Yes, I'm sorry it took me so long to get back to you. <laughs> we appreciate, uh, we're honored that you're on the show. We appreciate you taking time out with us. And I can hear you perfectly clear. So uh, tell us the impact Judge Serkin has had on your life. Well, I would echo um, everything that Mike co-clerk Lynn Nooner said about the judge as being an incredible mentor and role model and his concern for justice and fairness and all of those very important things. And I love that Lynn also included how the judge is a drummer. And I, I think the one thing that would people might be interested to know about Judge Sarakin is this very passionate person who brought so much to his career as a jurist that the judge also has an amazing sense of humor. And he was known for that both in the courtroom with litigants and people appearing in the courtroom, as well as in private with his clerks in chambers and his family. And so I think in some ways the things that you've said about him, that he's such an amazing person in so many ways, that actually he also had a sense of humor, which is pretty amazing for all the other pretty spectacular, serious qualities that he had as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and I can't imagine, uh, Jennifer, the, you know, going to work every day. And I said, as I said moments ago, someone who is, you know, someone who is being mentored is being mentored by someone who is doing it above the rest, really setting the bar of how it should be done. Uh, that has to be. Yeah, a great- that's exactly right. And it was a privilege and an honor to be his clerk as a result of that. And I would actually stand to say that most of the other clerks in the courthouse working for other judges were pretty jealous of us. No, no, absolutely. I mean, Jennifer, I'll tell you, tonight has been one of those nights that you kind of just left speechless, if that's possible, uh, because you don't hear about people with this type of 
uh, integrity, conviction in the criminal justice system because there's so much that has gone wrong with that. If you had to say something to our listeners tonight who really tonight I would believe are hungry for about hundreds, if you will, of H. Lee Syracans on benches across this country who share his vision, I believe that's what we have to get back to. What would you say to our listeners that are listening to all that Judge Sarakin has done, continues to do, to really be encouraged that, you know what, we have to press forward and recognize those that are doing it the right way? What would your thoughts be on that? Well, I guess I would say that I think that Judge Sarakin is a great role model for in that respect. And I think that there are many, many, many hardworking judges across this country in state and federal courts that are doing a great job. I think that they are there and we need to support them and we need to respect them. And I think they need to be, um, I think that with the right climate of promoting the right people to be judges, that we can have that again. I mean, I do think that Judge Sarakin is a very unique, one-of-a-kind person, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of other great people out there who could certainly follow in his footsteps and also bring a similar integrity and honor and fairness to the judicial process. And I hope that we're moving in that direction in this country. Sure. Uh, Jennifer, I can't thank you enough. We're honored to have you tonight uh, and taking time out of your schedule to come and talk with us and to our listeners. Uh, I cannot tell you how much we appreciate it here at AJC Radio, and we appreciate you so very much for the kind words you've spoken uh, about Judge Sarakin, and we would like to say a very thank you to you and Lynn uh, for taking time to talk to us tonight. And thank you for hearing from us. Thank you. Take care. Have a great rest of your night. Take care. Bye-bye. There you have it. Two clerks worked for Judge Sarakin. And uh, I'll tell you what, this is something that uh, really goes to pulls on the heartstrings. Right now, we're joined by Pastor Banks um, uh, in regards to Judge Sarakin. Pastor Banks, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thanks for taking my call. As I listen to this show tonight, as I listen to this show tonight, I have never been so moved in my heart about a person. Um, a judge that believed in justice and and was concerned about the people that came in his courtroom. I thought, what would our situation be right now if we had had him as our judge? I guarantee you, would nobody be in prison, and nobody would have taken uh, this kind of road. But when he looked at it, our case. He really believed that we were done wrong, and he would not have he would not have helped the IRP six, IRP five. Now he would not have helped them if it had been any other way. He, he's a man of integrity and honesty, and and I'm telling you, I mean, to hear the things about this man, it just touches my heart. And I'm thinking, God, what would our justice system be like? I mean, uh, if we had judges like Judge Sarakin, if our whole standard of justice was based upon how he did how he did it, we wouldn't have overcrowding in prison. Because how many people are 
in prison today that should not be there because some judge didn't care. Some some prosecutor just wanted to, uh, I mean, I mean, look good that he won this case or whatever. And and the more I listened to him over all this, and I know that no show would be able to actually get everything on that would 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 uh, could give you a feeling or. Uh, that this man is almost like, it's like, like it's not real, but you know it is. Because we always thought the justice was, uh, I mean, system was fine. If you had your evidence, you wouldn't have a problem and all these things. But once you become a victim of the system, then that's when you see behind the closed door. I wish every American in this country could see behind the closed doors of what they are doing to the citizens of this country and putting them in prison and locking them away from their family. I wish the entire country could go behind the scenes just for one thing and see how the whole system that we call justice is badly, badly broken. And it takes just it takes people like Judge Sarakin to do the job and do it right. We realize if people break the law, they should have to answer for that. But when you take innocent people and you know they're innocent because probably somebody passed you some money, who knows? But you know these guys were innocent, and you did it anyway. And I thank God for for uh, Judge Sarakin for the simple reason. When, they, when people want to accuse you of things, when you have a judge that has served on the bench and his whole career he has been about justice, somebody listening to this says, you know what? Those men couldn't have been guilty of a crime because this judge, Judge Sarakin, the one we've been talking to, there's no way he would stand in the gap for anybody that did crime. He's going to do what's right. That's all we're asking for. Just do what's right. You don't, you don't have to misuse people, treat them bad, and, and make them make plea deals, and, and they're scared not to do it. And all these issues that, that's in this system, I'm telling you, it is a tragedy to see all of these people in our country locked up in prisons. And then I think the other side of it is that they never really know all the things, how, how they are abused behind, uh, behind the wall. That if uh, they send you to prison and then they and, and then they abuse you in the process behind it for every little thing, so there's a lot that's going on. I thought how nice it would be in our country if everybody went to trial, had an honest judge to sit in the audience and watch how they're doing this stuff in this country. But thank God for a man like Judge Sarakin. He makes me feel proud that we had at least one judge. I'm sure there's more. We just don't know them. But that he stood up for what was right, even when he stood alone, even when uh, all, the, all, all, all the other people that was, that was in his profession, they, they didn't always stand with him, and he didn't care. He was about justice. He was about compassion. I think because he can feel makes him make, uh, uh, do the right thing. Because he can feel you have to be compassionate to do this. Thank God for a judge who feels for you. And I really do wish that, that God would give him two lives, uh, to, uh, I mean, two lives to live. Because how much do we need him? How much do this country need him? And, and even with his retirement, he's still reaching out. When, uh, when most people are just laid back or whatever, he still went for the IRP-6 
and fought for them and put it in the Huffington Post and and uh, even going to writing uh, a President Obama, which I don't know if he ever seen that letter. But all these things he's willing to do on his time, he didn't have to do it, and never charged us one red cent. And I think we looked up his fee, and it's a nice nice fee and one that's really deserving. Uh, but he didn't charge us not one cent. And I can say to you, uh, Judge Eric, and may God bless you, whatever time you got left in this world, that somebody else's life will be affected in a positive way because of you. I appreciate you, and what a great man you must be to your wife, to your children, your grandchildren. Oh, God, I just wish you could live another whole lifetime. Please know that you are in our prayers, and we trust that you're feeling a lot better. And, and we're just glad that we had the opportunity that God would let us cross paths with a, a just judge. Thank God for that. I never will forget it. Thank you so much. And thank you. And uh, right now, AJC Radio makes a decision. We will have part two of honoring a legend in Judge Sarakin. Thursday night, tune in, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Part two of this program will continue as we continue to honor the man, the legend, the judge, federal retired Judge Ashley Sarakin. And I quote something he states here. Judge Sarakin says, we live in a nation which liberty is cherished second only to life itself. Society commits no greater wrong than to convict and confine or execute one who may be innocent of the crimes in which he or she has been charged. Judge Sarakin wrote that in a 1989 opinion. He states here, no greater responsibility reposed of the federal judiciary than the review of convictions based upon alleged constitutional violations. Judge Sarakin added. Ladies and gentlemen, we will continue to honor Judge Sarakin because we just have not begun to scratch the surface on the man, the legend, the just judge, the integrity, the what do you say? What what can you say? You lose you lose words. It is that impactful, and he's made an impact on our lives, as Pastor Banks uh, stated so beautifully. A just judge, and uh, we'll be uh, again uh, picking up part two of this program Thursday night. You don't want to miss it. Judge Sarakin, tonight, if you are listening to this program, we would like to humbly say thank you for your service, not only for the RP6, known now as the RP5, but not only for Hurricane Carter, but the countless lives that have been impacted that you may never know about. We give you a very special thank you for what you've done. Ladies and gentlemen of America, part two, honoring federal retired Judge H. Lee Sarakin, 8 p.m. Eastern. Thursday night. We'll see you then. Until next time, America, take care and good night. But as we begin this first of two 21st century open mind programs with Judge Sarakin, I want to ask him whether over the years he's at all changed his mind about some of the many decisions he's made and opinions he's offered both on the blog and on the bench. Lee, what do you say? No. 
never changed your mind. I've looked back. Uh, first of all, I've reread the blog in anticipation of today, and there isn't anything in there that I uh, would want to change today. And insofar as my opinions are concerned, uh, there too, I'm, I'm very comfortable with all of those opinions and stand by them today. Some of them have been reversed, but even despite that, uh, I still think even the reversals. Yes. Uh, I recognize the validity of some of the reversals, but I don't think if I were writing the decision again, I would do it any differently. This court does not arrive at its conclusion lightly. On one hand, Reuben Carter has submitted a document alleging racial prejudice, coercion of testimony, and withholding of evidence. On the other hand, Mr. Carter tried twice by two different juries and those convictions were subsequently upheld by the New Jersey State Supreme Court. However, the extensive record clearly demonstrates to this court that Reuben Carter's conviction was predicated upon an appeal to racism rather than reason and concealment rather than disclosure. To permit convictions to stand which have as their sole foundation appeals to racial prejudice is to commit a violation of the Constitution as heinous as the crimes for which the defendants were tried and convicted. I hereby order Reuben Carter released from prison from this day This court is a joke.